Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Friday, November 5th, Prediction Friday, Gamecocks play Florida, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Apologize for the lack of podcasts this week. Did drop a JC and Morgan earlier today, so check that out. As always, thanks to Heritage Digital for uh, the sponsorship of the first part of this show, and then we'll get to the prediction part of it again. I had a good uh, back and forth with Bob Redman from uh, Swamp 24-7. Uh, you can read that on the bigspur.com this morning if you're a member. I think it's VIP, maybe free. I don't know. Uh, also, check out Tony Morrell's Five Keys to Victory uh, and all that good stuff. So, all right. So, a lot of talk about the offense still beating a dead horse here. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I've been talking about what's wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that. Uh, you know, I'm going to go through and I'm going to talk about some things that are right. And then I'm going to talk about what gives me a slight bit of hope. Um, this Florida defense, the Gamecocks are playing against this weekend. You know, say what you want about Grantham, you know, LSU game early on against Bama. They struggled. They have had bad games. His defenses always give you opportunities. Um, they played pretty well. They're a fast group. So it's a, it's a challenge this weekend uh, on offense for the Gamecocks. Um Kind of went back and forth with him. Anthony Richardson is not going to play Saturday night. He's in concussion protocol, according to Redmond. So it looks like it'll be Emory Jones, which is problematic. I mean, (laughs) Emory Jones has has had actually some surprisingly good games this year. He's probably not as dynamic and talented as Richardson, but he's, you know, an experienced guy. He can run the football, obviously. I think South Carolina, because they've not been able to stop the run, is going to have a heavy dose of that. Uh, Clayton White, during his press conference this week, talked about Mo Caba, Debo Williams playing more. I, I'm i with him there. Uh, you know, there, there's good and there's bad with a situation like that with inexperienced linebackers. The, the good with those guys 
folks, is that Kaba can run and Williams can run. It gives you a little more speed and playmaking ability, all that. The bad is linebackers at times can take false steps. And if they don't know quite aren't sure about their assignments, they can go one way or the other. And then against an offense like Florida's where a lot of times they disguise where the run is going to come from and they're good at blocking it and all that, that can lead to some pretty big gains into your secondary. So, you know, good and bad, I think, uh, when it comes to playing those linebackers. But I was, I was encouraged by that. I think South Carolina, uh, the defense probably needed the week off, get some rest. South Carolina's defensive line certainly can play well. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, Richardson obviously gives you a little more in the pass game, I think. Uh, but I have seen Jones complete some passes this year and, and play pretty well. Uh, you know, so we'll see sort of what happens. Florida obviously has a little bit of uh, disarray going on down there with Mullen. I uh, don't think he is on the hot seat. Uh, I do think that, you know, the, the complaining about recruiting those – those uh, voices are getting louder, but I, I think when you struggle like they have and your expectations are very high and you're coming off an SEC East win or t- title last year and they took Bama to the wire, took Bama to the wire again this year, you know, sometimes that makes you think maybe you're a little better than you are. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Florida, when I looked at their personnel this year and their schedule, I thought, you know, th- this has a chance to be a good Florida team. It's probably not going to be one of their best because uh, they, they just lost too many people off last year's team, which led the country in passing and all that. So it was going to be a different type of Florida team and certainly a different type of Florida team that comes into Williams-Brice on Saturday night. So I'm going to go through – all right, so uh, I'm going to go through and I'll talk about, like, Shane Beamer, okay, because there's a lot of talk about Beamer. Got a question in the mailbag again today. Is he in over his head? Blah, blah, blah. You hear the people, it gets louder every week with every bad performance and blowout loss or whatever that, oh, this is a bad hire by Tanner or whatever. And I, I think that has 100% to do with Tanner hiring Will Muschamp and that not working out and Tanner hiring Chad Holbrook and that not working out and Mark Kingston not having a breakthrough season just yet on the baseball diamond. Um, and then basketball, not ca- not capitalizing on the final point. Well, name, name your narrative or storyline, but I think it has much more to do with fan frustration in general with all the sports, the men's sports of South Carolina, than Shane Beamer and really just, just football. So, so let's look at the facts. Okay. Let, let, let's look at, let, let, let's look at what some of the issues were last year and past couple of years under Muschamp. Number one is injuries. Now, injuries are part of the game, but if you guys seen the massive amounts of injuries that uh, they had at Florida under Muschamp, they had at Carolina under Muschamp, and I don't know. I, I'm not blaming Will Muschamp for all those injuries necessarily, but there was a common thread there. And when he's left places or before he's gotten to places, they didn't have nearly the issues. So, you know, I don't know. Was it Jeff Dillman, the strength coach? Didn't change it in time, whatever. I don't, I don't know because they had a lot of injuries last season and whatnot. Of course, it was a weird year with COVID and stuff. So, I don't know, but the injuries. All right, so let's talk about, you know, Luke Day, the strength coach, and his assistant who's been in the NFL for all those years. Those guys have done a good job. They've done a good job. I mean, uh, as I've said many times, the offensive line is confused. That's why they're playing like 
They have no strength. <laughs> That's why they're getting blown up. That's why they're missing blocks, that kind of thing. Confusion, period. Uh, and that kind of ties into my glimmer of hope that I'm looking at uh, early on. So, 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 so must champ a lot of injuries. Beamer not a lot of energy in injury. So that's that's a fix. The injuries have been a fix. So there we go. Um, what was the concern coming into this season? Wide receivers. Ooh, left the receiving core bad. Now they did. Don't get that was a fact. I mean, it was not in good shape. They still are going to have to recruit their way out of it. But let's look. Josh Van's having a career year. Jalen Brooks played well before he had to take a leave of absence from the team for a personal reason. May or may not be back. Not back this weekend, but uh, he he he's dropped a few, but he's caught a few too. And uh, you know, I think some of you out there that just think he sucks aren't really looking at it. You're just kind of looking at what he did in key times. Um, you know, Xavier Leggett, since he's been healthy, he's playing pretty well. You know, EJ Jenkins when he's gotten a shot, and you know, he's played pretty well. It's three, four guys. Um, tight ends. Uh, Nick Muse has not had the production that he did last season, but he doesn't get targeted a lot. Uh, and Jim Jaheim Bell is, uh, you know, one of the best playmakers on the team. So check, check, check. Um, defense in general, the defensive scheme, much too complicated last season, much too complicated for a while. Why do you think the safeties couldn't? Their, their uh, legs were in mud. Well, it's because it was complicated. And Muschamp admitted that. You know, we put a lot on our safeties, et cetera. And I think this is a defense, obviously, when you look at what's working at Georgia and what's working at Alabama. And, what, what you know, you need just a ton of talent. Uh, and like in Georgia's case this year, it really, really helps that they send waves of linebackers and defensive linemen in there. And then Jordan Davis, the nose tackle, is just a freak, a complete freak. Um, and one of the that's one of the best pieces of evaluation and development I've seen, guys, because Jordan Davis may be one of the best defensive linemen in all of college football, maybe a top five pick. He was a three-star offensive line prospect out of Charlotte that <laughs> Georgia signed and made into a nose tackle because you can't find nose tackles out there. You know, so when you go three-man front or whatever and you don't have a nose, that, that could be a problematic. You know, when you're running that defense. And if if you can look at Alabama, you know, when they've been their best running that defense, they've had a big nose plus smart defensive backs and things like that. So um, defensive scheme fixed because players are not confused. Uh, I know they're not super duper performance wise stopping the run, but, you know, pretty good. So that's a fix. Guys on defense are playing loose, free, uh, force of turnovers. You know, there are guys on that defense that you probably thought couldn't play dead in the movie that are now shining. Um, you know, good deal. Good deal there. All right, so that got fixed. Secondary in general. And, you know, obviously when you got Clayton White, Torian Gray back there, they do a really good job. Uh, that was a big area of concern. You know, I think Carolina last time I checked was top 15 in past defense. Um just really tremendous job of fixing it, not only through the coaching and development, but also you've got, uh, you know, some recruiting through the portal that you did, that you've got some guys that, you know, could beef it up, uh, you know, provide some depth. Cam Smith's gotten better. Darius Rush is playing well. Marcellus Dial, a Juco kid, uh, has played well. You know, Foster got the interception early against Texas A&M, but Marcellus Dial really made the play. 
He's the one that broke up the pass, tipped it in the air. So, you know, check. That's gotten better. Linebacker play is uh, was atrocious last year outside of Ernest Jones. I'd give it a check on the uh, improvement side. Uh, even the D-line, which D-line linebackers are still susceptible with the run, but – you know, you, you can't say these guys aren't playing better than they did last year. So, so there's something. All right, team morale and culture. It was a broken locker room that Shane Beamer inherited. Uh, I'll say this. Guys have been not hanging their heads, maintaining positivity. Uh, you know, will that, will that be sustainable if they continue to struggle on offense? I don't know. I'll just be honest. I don't know because there's only so much as a player – that you can go through and kind of maintain. These are still college kids. Uh, but, hey, hiring guys like Derek Moore, maintaining Connor Shaw, uh, all that's going well. Recruiting. Okay, Gamecocks have a close to a top 25 class right now. Uh, I'm not saying it's a perfect class. I'm not saying there's not work to be done. But when you look at the 2021 kids they brought in through the portal and otherwise, and you kind of look at – What's happening for 2022, you know, you still got Antonio Williams out there as a big get. Jalen Sneed, they're trying to get in state. You know, they're still in, and then they got the portal work to go. You know, I'm, I don't, you know, Muschamp's problem was never recruiting, so I can't say it's like an improvement. But when they allegedly had the 80th-ranked class in the country last year, which was a bunch of bunk because half the class didn't even count toward the rankings because – you only you only count high school kids, but you know you, you look at that and then you look at kind of what they can do. It's 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 you know it's back in that area where South Carolina normally recruits, and I think that's a uh, that was a good goal to have because uh, you also have to consider this and, and and the people that continue to complain. I mean, I mean, everybody when you're struggling complains, and I get it. And I'm not I'm not going to sit there and bash fans. Right now, because you guys have been through a lot, and I'm just going to accept your opinions. If I feel like you're wrong, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, and we're going to go, for, and we'll just go from there. I'm not going to blast anybody or anything like that. But people start to blame everything. You know, now today's complaint du jour on the Big Spur and elsewhere is that Beamer did not come here in time. You know, he stayed at Oklahoma till the Big Twelve championship game. Because uh, he can handle things through Zoom or whatever, that's true. There's there's nothing that him being in Columbia by himself in the building would have done to change anything, including Mike Bobo leaving, including Eric Wolford taking the job at Kentucky. Eric Wolford was not retained. Okay, hindsight, it's pretty easy to say, ah, I probably should have retained that guy. Uh, but at the time, there needed to be a new voice in there, and I've got. You guys have heard me sing Wolford's praises, uh, and I stand by that. I think the guy has left the offensive line at South Carolina in better shape than he's found it twice. But uh, I'll say this, you know, th- th- there was there was nothing that, you know, it, it was basically if Beamer wanted to keep Wolford, he would have kept Wolford, but he didn't. And, yeah, and that was just – that's his decision. You know, so nothing be at Oklahoma. Uh, him going back to Oklahoma it had nothing to do with anything, right? Nothing. So uh, that actually is the most meaningless complaint narrative that I've heard. Um, probably one of the most ridiculous ones, and I see Gamecock fans talk about this a lot, more than one, 
is the ops building and how, oh, hadn't paid off, spent all that money, hadn't paid off. Well, you know, number one, a building is alone is never going to like, I guess, you know, transform your program wins and losses wise. You know, that has to come through good coaching, good player development, good recruiting, all that good stuff. <clears throat> what it does, though, is it, it, it takes an argument away from the teams that are recruiting against you. Uh, and South Carolina gets beat, get, used to get beat up on facilities all the time. Now they're second to none, so you don't have to complain about that anymore. They got the same thing everybody else does. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I don't, I don't think we've even seen the impact on recruiting just yet. Because think about this, you know, they moved into the building and you had essentially like one cycle. And that was for the 2020 class and Muschamp landed a lot of good players in that class. Uh, and then they had to shut it down for COVID in March. You know, so you couldn't do any recruiting until the next June in terms of guys coming in visiting your building, your facility, all that. I mean, they just wouldn't let you in. They tested everybody every day, all that good stuff. It was a sort of a tight ship, you know. So there's no way that, um, you know, that was going to pay any dividends for 15 months because people couldn't see it. Common sense, right? Not according to some. I mean, oh, my God, $50 million and hadn't paid off, you know. And it's like – Wow, you know, <laughs> uh, got to give it a chance. And 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 look, even even had they been in it for a while, I mean, I just don't think you can sit there and you know during a coaching transition and some losing seasons and stuff like that that you can expect like a top ten class based on a building that just doesn't happen. But when you sit there and criticize them spending the money that means you don't get it and understand college football or college football in the SEC particularly. You know, uh, you, you have to have what everybody else has and, and hopefully you have a little better, you know. And, and so it absolutely was not a waste of money, okay. Um, you know, and, and you may, you know, there's been no issues with working out this past offseason when everybody got in. And then once June hit and players were able to come in and see it, it actually helped. You know, you got 2022 and you got, you know, right now over the summer and right now you, you kind of, you haven't turned the page on 2022 yet, but 2023 is right around the corner. And a lot of those guys are making up their minds in terms of what schools are going to be on the list, who's going to get officials, all that. Because remember, the recruiting calendar is accelerating. So, so this staff has not even had, uh, th this staff's had five months to recruit on the new building, Right. Uh, and what's funny is when they were selling the new building, you know, that had a lot of recruiting momentum. When you start to sell like the, the game day atmosphere these days, it, it's not, you know, there's not, it, it's tough. They're going to have to work around some of that. Now they can, you know, so I, I think, you know, has recruiting improved? I don't know. I, you know, wait and see how this class goes. I thought must champs must the least of must champs problems here. We're recruiting, but that's that's going fine. You know, Taylor Edwards, Jessica Jackson, those guys who, who work in that department do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, the other complaint I've been getting is, is about uh, Derek Moore, Connor Shaw, and what they do, and I think that's just ridiculous. I'm not even going to uh, acknowledge that as something even anyone with a brain should, should have that opinion. 
Um, and again, I know you're, you're just complaining about everything right now, some of you, and and that's fine. And I didn't mean that to be insulting, but I, I do think you need to use the brains God gave you and think about this for a minute uh, in terms of what those guys actually do. You know, those guys aren't coaching ball, you know. Um, and so we got that. So, so special teams. Obviously, Parker White has had a really good year. Kai Kruger's had a really good year. That's not a surprise. I know they gave up a punt return at AM. That guy's really fast and really good, though. I don't think Carolina's going to be alone in giving up a punt return to him for a touchdown uh, when all is said and done. Uh, but the special teams have been good. You know, they've scored some on special teams, they've, you know, run some trick plays. Uh, Pete Limbo is one of the best in the country at that. So, special teams, you got to give that a check, too. You got to say, hey, this is, this is an upgrade. You know, so that's interesting to me. And, and, and those are the positive. And what's funny is the negative is this. Offensive scheme, which everybody complained about last year with Mike Bobo, even though they didn't have any playmakers or anything like that. Uh, running game, which would be running backs and offensive line. Uh, and that was not supposed to be a problem at all this year. Um, so you have to say those parts have gotten worse. Wow. You know, who's responsible for that? Well, I don't, you know, you know, point, point to the people who that's responsible, who are responsible for it. Um, and that's a surprise, uh, you know, I, I think. So, so when you really look at Shane Beamer and the, the totality of what he's done as the coach, at, the head coach of South Carolina, he's done a lot right. It's not showing up a whole lot because the offense is so bad. The defense gets drug all over the field and gets tired. And, you know, there's been some ugly losses. And when you can't score, everybody's frustrated. But he's kind of fixed a lot if you think about it. And I think that's what makes it even more maddening to Gamecock fans because, as is the case, sometimes around this program, you know, you fix two or three things and you think away we go and then something else comes up. And uh, that kind of worries me uh, about the rest of the season because you, you start thinking about the defense and kind of like in 2016 when – and look, I think that this defense this year probably has more talent, more ball players than that 2016 defense, but that 2016 defense had some guys that, you know, were kind of very tough and hard-nosed and played hard and made some things happen turnover-wise. Um, but you look and, you know, what I was told about that season, because you go from, you know, shutting teams down, even some good teams down, uh, to giving up 31 against Western Carolina, <laughs> a 2-9 and nine FCS team. Uh, and, and what happened was that they did it, with some smoke and mirrors at the beginning. And then the more film got out, the more they kind of, you know, good offensive coordinators, folks, look at the other team's film and they, they, they go on defense and they, they, they scout it and they look at the individual players and say, okay, who can we go after? And if you think about this, Tennessee picked on some guys, uh, Vanderbilt picked on some guys, uh, Texas A&M certainly picked on some guys. And then, you know, the more film and the more you play, the more it's harder to do it with smoke and mirrors on that side of the ball. So, so that's a concern of mine, too, is maybe this defense isn't really good. Um, and they've just been kind of coaching them up and letting them go. That, that could be the case in the secondary, definitely. 
because uh, you got a lot of inexperienced players back there, guys that are either older that have not played a whole lot until this year or younger, um, you know, and, and at linebacker as well, you know, you, you, your better players at that position talent-wise are younger and have not started and that kind of thing. So, you know, you look at it and it, it, it's, you know, the things that were supposed to do good. You, you talk about South Carolina, nine offensive linemen coming back with at least one career start, plus a guy like Vinny Murphy, who should be a starter. Um, it's a better situation than a lot of people inherit on the O-line. I'll tell you that right now. There's teams starting freshmen, starting walk-ons, that kind of thing, uh, especially new coaches. Uh, and, you know, a, a team that could run the ball last year pretty well. You know, not just Kevin Harris. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick ran the ball pretty well last year himself and uh, and all that. You know, so you come into the season, you think, well, you got four good running backs, three, four good running backs. You got a good veteran offensive line. You should be able to run the football. And that just hasn't happened. South Carolina is atrocious at running the ball. And we've seen some pretty terrible running games around here uh, where there's been a pretty good passing game under Spurrier, early Muschamp, under Roper. Carolina's struggled running the ball. And, um, you know, that, that, that just should not be the case uh, because you, you look at what you inherit uh, and you're like, what are the strengths? And, you know, look, man, uh, people can sit here all they want. This is another gripe I keep, keep hearing, like, I read the insiders on this site. The insiders on this site said that the offensive line is going to be a strength of the team. That's not good for the inside information crowd. And I'm like, that was not inside information. Shane Beamer said it over and over. Uh, everybody said it. Everybody said they had a good situation. That wasn't just me. I didn't – Get this super secret scoop. Oh, my God, the offensive line is going to be good. It's obvious when you turn that return that many starters. So, you know, looking at it like that, and then those backs, Kevin Harris, and, and Kevin Harris may not be himself, but you still got Lloyd. He may not be all the way back, but he, he never gets into a rhythm, so you can't tell. Half the time, White carries the ball. Half the time, it doesn't. Juju McDowell has done well in spurts, and other times he just doesn't get the ball. I mean, so, you know – why is the running game not good? Yeah, well, we've kind of talked about that. But um, so there's more more things that have been fixed than things that are not ideal. And I know the quarterback situation is not ideal right now because some injuries and, and things like that. And, you know, gosh, they say it's not a complex offense, but I don't know. I've seen – even Zeb Nolan, who supposedly knows it pretty well, looked lost uh, as far as getting guys in the right plays, right protections, all that. So, you know, quarterback is not ideal. There has not been good quarterback play, and that's very, very important. But, shoot, they can't get a pass off. You know, there's no blocking. Luke Doty was hurt, and his legs couldn't help him. I mean, you know, and that, and that brings me to this point. So I'm going to say this. Satterfield in his press conference said something that was I thought was pretty interesting. It was, you know, of course, he and Beamer all week. It's probably the only thing that in their press conferences they're on really on the same page about. Um, and look, I'm not complaining about the press conferences. I know, I know what it is. I know, I know you're frustrated with it and all that good stuff, but um, 
Shane Beamer is not the only head coach in the country that goes into a press conference and sounds full of crap as a Christmas turkey. Okay. Look around at some other press conferences. I know Steve Spurrier was here for 10 and a half years. And I know one of the things you hated about Will Muschamp was he would be evasive or throw some football jargon at you in the media and you'd get frustrated. Well, that's how most coaches do it. You know, I I don't, you know, you can't all be Mike Leach and Steve Spurrier with the media. I know it's great. I love listening to it. Gosh. But, man, that's just, you know, you're not going to go find a coach that's going to be different than that. So so stop overreacting. But, you know, you do have to kind of listen to what they say and all that. And, you know, they've been on this thing this week about the offense not being too complex. But then Beamer turns around and says, we're running 25% of our playbook. Well, Okay. <laughs> does that not mean that you know maybe it's, there's a little maybe too many plays they're too complicated hard to learn whatever and then Satterfield says something that I thought was very interesting he said maybe he said it's not the complexity but what it is is what we are asking them to do they cannot do which is what I've been saying the entire time you know because the players as I said looked very very they looked very confused um, and, he, and he said something that gave me some hope. And then here, here's my hopeful thing. He said, maybe we're not like a wide zone team. Maybe we're a tight gap zone team, which tight, a gap, uh, a gap scheme on the offensive line is different than a zone scheme. You know, so I don't know what a tight gap zone or slash zone is. Maybe he said tight gap slash zone. You know, so maybe there's still some zone, but they're going to run a more like gap scheme on the offensive line, which – that's a lot of what they did last year, and the guys played pretty well. You know, some people are under the impression the pass protection was awful last year. I I wouldn't call it awful. I wouldn't call it above average. I'd say it's probably about average for an SEC. And you, then you didn't have a mobile quarterback till Doty took over, and by that point, you know, the season was pretty much lost. So, you know, that gives me a little hope. Because I think, you know, as long as the guys can pick it back up, you know, that kind of, you know, scheme on the offensive line. And, and, and I was reading up on the uh, the wide zone stuff, and so much of that requires horizontal movement on your offensive line. If you're not used to that, if you're just used to firing off the ball and hitting somebody, that can get very confusing. And I'm not a big fan of – sliding guys over and stuff. I know it happens. I know a lot of schools do it and a lot of NFL teams definitely do it. NFL, there, there's those three letters again. But uh, that kind of made me think, oh, oh, but at the same time, in those Wednesday press conferences, Mark Satterville's talked about, you know, Saquandre White getting the ball more, didn't happen. Jaheim Bell getting the ball more, didn't happen, although A&M did take him away. Juju McDowell getting the ball more, never happened. I formation with Trey Jones, didn't, has never happened. Um, and so you have to kind of wonder if, if, if that's like a red herring, which to me, it would be completely ridiculous, uh, to kind of mention exactly what you need to do, which I think that's what they need to do. Uh, and cause it makes more sense for this group on the offensive line. I mean, you want to recruit a certain type of offensive lineman that could do all that and restock over time, that's fine, you know, because 
that's fine. And, and it, it's kind of funny that a lot of the younger, more inexperienced guys do a little better when they get in there. But you got veteran guys, you know, you you should have been playing to their strengths from the start. From the start, you know, because coming in, you had to know you had issues at receiver and quarterback. What, what you have is a, a, you know, some good running backs and get yards plus a good offensive line, good tight ends. I don't know. But that gave me some hope that maybe there's been kind of a, some changes. I mean, maybe not. Because like I said, that would be the first time something out of a Wednesday press conference showed up in the game during the week. But um, if they do that and you can start getting some holes for Lloyd or maybe Harris or McDowell or White or whoever, you can start running the ball. And what that does, it helps your entire offense. And, you know, Florida pretty good against the run on defense till they played LSU, which runs a similar offense to South Carolina. And all of a sudden, LSU found something and exploited it and ran for a lot of yards out of character for them against the Gators in a 49-42 win. You know, so will that happen Saturday night? That that does. That, that gives me hope. You put up 250 rushing yards in the game, that helps – uh, the next item of hope, and that's Jason Brown. Um, I mentioned I think they have to start with Jason Brown because of his skill set. Uh, because right now you can't go into the game and count on a new gap scheme or whatever, provided you do it, uh, being able to establish the run. This team hasn't established the run all year long. So you need a guy in the backfield. This team hasn't passed block for a while. You know, it's not ideal. You need a guy back there that can escape pressure, keep his eyes downfield, make some scramble plays happen, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, Jason Brown has the skill set that I think this this group needs right now. Looking back on it, hindsight's twenty twenty. you maybe should have been playing him early just because, you know, all this issue with the O-line needed to be dissected earlier. And you didn't do it. And yeah, who knows if, if that'll happen on Saturday. But with, with the issues they had, you know, you had to know Nolan is a sitting duck. Okay. Especially if you can't run the ball. I mean, what are you, you going to do? Can't run the ball, can't pass protect. Zeb Nolan is not your guy. Uh, Jason Brown has the skill set to do it. Um, I know that uh, Satterfield didn't mention, hey, it's good he sat. He doesn't have to be thrown into the fire. I know that was the concern, but um, and he has gotten better in practice per contacts. Um, and, and and so sometimes when you have a new quarterback that comes in, and even if it's like not exclusively on Jason Brown as to why the offense is playing better, let's say they do adjust the scheme, Gamecocks can finally run the football, and Brown makes his share of passes. You know. Sometimes that guy coming in, even if it's not directly because of his play, uh, the players start to get more confidence with them in there because your quarterback sort of trickles down uh, through everybody. And so, you know, those two things, if you go to more of a – if they do go to more of a gap scheme on offense, as I said, I don't – I'm not guaranteeing that will help them run the ball. Uh, it's late in the season. But it is something they did more of last year with success. If they can start to do that – you know, shoot, the backs get going and Brown can make some things happen, then Gamecocks have a shot on offense 
to move it and get maybe, dare I say, get some big plays against Ty Grantham's defense Saturday night. Um, and, and so with that, I'll go into the, uh, the prediction portion. You know, those are, those are kind of my keys to the game too, is let Brown get Brown in a position to make plays. Don't make it overly complicated for him. It doesn't sound like he's going to, and, you know, try to find a way to run a football and, you know, defensively, you gotta, you gotta obviously stop the run, keep him from making big plays. Like uh, Florida does some surprise plays and, you got to stay in position, play assignment football, just like you do with any kind of quarterback running team or whatnot. Um, you know, th- those are all my keys, but, you know, now it's time for the prediction segment. And um, as always, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane is sponsoring this. Married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate of South Carolina for more than 35 years. And would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. 4-844-414-5271-864-414-5271-C-C-A-R-F-O-S-S-A-T-C-B-C-A-N-E.com. Located right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Kakalaki on Daniel Morgan Avenue. You guys know the real estate market's crazy right now. Lots of opportunities for sellers and I think buyers probably need a little help navigating uh, and Cindy Searfoss is absolutely your person anywhere in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Cherokee counties, Greenwood County, Lawrence County, wherever you are, Union County, uh, Cindy can help you. 864-414-5271. Please tell Cindy you heard about her right here on the Inside of the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, Caldwell Banker Kane, Cindy Searfoss, all your real estate needs. Okay, so I told you guys I'm going to be honest this year with my predictions. And while I do have some hope, uh, if certain things happen, there's no guarantee that will happen. Uh, Therefore, as someone who hates making predictions and wants to kind of stick to the script, I'm going to have to stick to the script. I know Florida's in turmoil. Uh, I know there's been some drama down there. I also know that at times when Dan Mullen seems out and down, you know, don't count him out and down, you know, and, and I think we saw that, you know, shoot in 2018, that they lost by 21 at home to Missouri. They turn around the Gamecocks have them down 31, 14. They just lined up and ran the ball, kind of figured that out for 367 yards and won the football game. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, he's a guy that's proven he can rally the troops before. You remember he lost to South Alabama at home at Mississippi State. Um, next week, the Gamecocks came in, right? Coming off a win against Vanderbilt. This is 2016. And, shoot, that game was, what, 20 to nothing at halftime, 7-24 nothing at halftime. Uh, they ended up winning 27-14 in a, in a game that was never close. Uh, Mississippi State broke a long losing streak to South Carolina. That day, the only time during the Muschamp era that he played Mississippi State, it's been a while the Gamecocks have played them. But, uh, you know, so I've seen this movie before with a struggling, wounded Dan Mullen-led football team, and it just hasn't always worked out for the Gamecocks. So, you know, yep, they're coming in here like that. It's going to be cold. Uh, Don't underestimate that. It's going to be a lot colder at Williams-Price than it is in Florida. I think South Carolina's going to stay with them for a while. Uh, but I also think that 
the 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 checklist of things that, that that have to happen on offense for it to be a really successful night. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. Uh, I also think that defensively, because I don't, I think it's a big ask for the offense to to go up and down the field against these guys. You know, defensively, they, there's a good chance they'll they're what what they'll wear out. Um, I think Florida's probably going to keep it kind of simple and on the ground. Damian Pierce is an excellent back. They have other really good backs. Uh, Emory Jones is a really good runner. Uh, Carolina's defense is really going to have to come to play um, and get some turnovers. I mean, you just can't count on turnovers. So my prediction, and, and I told you, going to be honest with the predictions, and until things change, uh, I'm going to say they're not. Uh, and I'm going to predict a similar score. That I always do. Uh, Gators 31, Gamecocks 13. Uh, and I'm thinking like a 17-13-ish type of ball game. Uh, and then, you know, Florida scores at the end and pulls away. Kind of kind of like that uh, kind of probably game flow-wise. And hopefully there's not an atrocious call in the game. Game flow, kind of like the 2019 game with um, Florida and Carolina where it's it's in doubt for a while. Uh, and then the Gators pull away. I mean, and that's a that's kind of a the final score prediction wise is not you know not beautiful you know, uh, but unlike Tennessee, Texas A and M, Georgia, where essentially you know you're down twenty six six thirty eight seven thirty one nothing at halftime. I mean, uh, those are insurmountable games. Uh, I think I think there'll be some drama, you know, and there'll be some moments that uh, the crowd can get into it, and it'll be very competitive uh, for a while. I just, you know, Florida's probably got too much speed. I think their run game is too good. Carolina's run defense is, it, it, you know, I, I think there's room for improvement, and they can be better. But you really are concerned about that. I'm concerned about assignment football at times, especially against Vanderbilt, where I think. You know, Vandy kind of having the surprise starter and Mike Wright kind of ran around and, and chunked it down the field. There's a chance Florida, too, can take advantage of some busted coverages, some off-schedule plays, that kind of thing in this ball game. Uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence in Jason Brown going out there and starting. I'm not, like, worried about him starting. I am worried about, like, kind of what they're expecting him to do offensively in, you know, in this scheme. You know what? Uh, what exactly is going to happen? Uh, and like I said, uh, I I think what Satterfield said about the, the the gap scheme would would be a good move. I thought they maybe should have done that for a while. Maybe they are. I'm just not noticing it. Um, but um, yeah, maybe that works and it gets the run game going. If the Gamecocks can find a pulse on offense and get the run game going. You know, I, I think they have a chance to win any one of the last four games, probably two of them. Because you get the run game going, man, Missouri's not stopping anybody. They didn't stop Vanderbilt last week either. You know, Missouri, they got to play Georgia this week. And Georgia may rush for a billion yards, a billion with a B. <laughs> um, and so going out there the following week after they take a butt whip into Georgia – you know, and 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 they, you know, I've talked about crowds a lot. Missouri's not exactly the diehard football bunch that uh, we see around the SEC at other places. Um, so I don't, I don't expect a huge crowd or anything out there either. Uh, 
and hey, you get the run game going, Gamecocks go out there and win. I don't know. I think Missouri's pretty good on offense. I don't think they're great. You know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, that's my prediction, and uh, I have to go with that just because the matchups and. You know, I, I, I think that it's easy to look at Florida at four and four and some of the losses they've taken and go, oh, Mullen's hot seat and everybody's unhappy. It's still an awfully fast, awfully good football team. Uh, they've got athletes. Even when Florida's way down, they, they've got athletes. That's why, you know, you, you, you saw in 2013, pretty good Carolina team, pretty awful Florida team. That was 19 to 14. <laughs> 2011 to 17, 12, 2017 with an interim coach, 28, 20 Gamecocks. I mean, it's it's never I don't think the Gamecocks have ever like I guess the biggest blowout win would have been when they beat Urban Myers last team at the swamp and won the East 36-14. I would guess that would be it. But um yeah, so look, uh just uh you know, keep that in mind. We're talking about the predictions. I do, I do, I did want to point out though. Number one, when you go and you kind of do one column, what's gotten better, what's gotten worse, the two things that have gotten worse are complete shock because you you kind of thought you had a puncher's chance with that group with the offensive line and running backs this year, and that's what's really frustrating because that sort of bogged down the entire offense, the whole thing. I mean, and and, and I, again, maintain that, you know, the scheme is too complex. The scheme is not a college scheme. The scheme, if it takes this long to learn or get comfortable with or make adjustments, it's probably not something you should be running at the collegiate level uh, unless you just have ridiculous talent and all of your guys have high football IQs. And the only team and only program in the country that's going to come close to building a roster like that is Alabama. And I even think it's unrealistic for them Talking to one of their one of the contacts down there, you know, Bill O'Brien came from the NFL. It's calling plays now, but he scales it back. He also called it at Penn State with success and all that. You know, so I I continue to maintain that. And good lord, I, there's nothing I would like better than to be wrong about that, wrong about the predictions. And, and look, I don't right now. I'm not wrong about the complexity of the offense. Okay. If things do get better, that means the right adjustments have been made, okay? And I am willing to also, if the right adjustments are made, you know, back off the fact that I think they need a new OC next year. I will still be concerned if they try to do the same thing over and over again they did at the start of this year. That would be dumb. But, you know, some coaches just kind of want to do their thing no matter what. Uh, I'll be happy, you know, and I won't sit here and – gripe about the offense all the time, but uh, I'll still be concerned. But, you know, th- this program right now, you know, you could say they need a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, whatever. I mean, you could say whatever you want. This team right now, this program right now, more than anything else, any kind of change they could possibly make, they need wins. Then he wins because the losses are piling up, man. And, you know, there's been four wins this year. And, you know, I guess everybody's kind of satisfied after Eastern Illinois. And, you know, a lot of people thought they'd lose to East Carolina because uh, it's up there. And a lot of people are probably happy about that. But you know, since then, the other two wins, Troy and Vandy, have just been like a, a complete struggle. 
and people walked away upset, almost like they've lost. Um, so there you go. There you go. There's my take. Once again, prediction, 31-13 Gamecocks. Thanks to Cindy Searfoss. Call Wall Banker Kane, 864-414-5271. Give her a holla if you're needing real estate services. And I will tell you this right now, it's, it is crazy out there. Uh, real estate wise. All right. Michael, JC, have you heard anything about now? Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just jumped into the mailbag and I shouldn't have. Uh, Daniel Owens, I help consulting is the sponsor of our mailbag. Uh, he's going to do a free consultation. The first three business owners to call or text and say, they've heard about it from me. I think that is still ongoing. Uh, and I want to tell you that uh, Daniel Owens, I help consulting can save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, without sacrificing quality. And I'm going to tell you how it works. Call Daniel, 843-372-5713. And he'll explain it to you, but I'll explain a little further. He's going to examine where there may be savings for your business. Are you paying junk fees or your rate's too high? And you may be wondering about JC, look. I don't want to go pay a consultant four grand when I'm only going to save three grand. That makes absolutely no sense. And I agree that would not be smart and I would not recommend that, but here's how they do business. And I help you only pay a percentage of your first year savings. So let's say you get savings for the second year. Great. Great. You get to keep all of it. So there's really, it's, 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 it's low risk, high reward. And I know a lot of you have businesses, and I have a business. I'm always looking to save money. More money I save, more money for me, right? And so, tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the podcast. You can get the free consultation if you're one of the first three, 843-372-5713, ihelpconsulting.com, ihelpconsulting. How can I help you? And they're the sponsor of the mailbag each and every episode. Two ways to get into the mailbag. Oh my God. Tennessee fans tweeting at recruits the day after they uh, announced they weren't going to put themselves on bowl probation. So, all right. So the first way to get in the mailbag is this. You can tweet that at the big spur pod. Please uh, follow that account. Uh, it's got kind of different content or different tweets than maybe the, uh, maybe the, uh, at the big spur two, four, seven, uh, up over 700 followers. That's good. It's hard to build a Twitter account these days. Used to be a lot easier, harder now. And Grover checks in. He says, Hey, JC. Which, which do you think is best in terms of a recruiting pitch? Handing in good game film versus the best? Or standing on the sideline the whole second half because you're beating the breath out of somebody who's only in it for basketball? Oh, uh, like football, basketball. Mm, all right, let me try to figure out what you're saying. Game film versus really good players is, uh, is good. You know, in in terms of uh, if you're looking to go to high school or going from high school to college, you know, and and coaches want to watch game film, not highlights. Highlights can get you interested. Highlights can get you on a list. 
Highlights may get you invited to junior day. Highlights may get you on 24-7 sports or rivals.com and your name, it gets your name out there. But as far as offering goes, most of the time, if a school's good, you know, now look, there's some no-brainer highlight films. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, but game film's kind of what they evaluate because it shows the good with the bad. And coaches, don't be afraid to have the bad. Coaches, coaches like the good and the bad because they're like, oh, okay, well, here's a realistic picture, and they appreciate that. Um, nah, stand on the sidelines whole second half, beating somebody bad. Yeah, it's not. You know, against bad competitions, probably not. But I, I think good game film is, is the most important way. Assuming that's what you're talking about, Grover. I hope that's, uh, hope that is what you talk about. What you're talking about, Golf Cox, JC. I feel for the state of things. I don't get up for Saturday anymore. I don't have any excitement about USC football. It is sad. I'm just so over the little up, the little ups and tremendous lows. Can't explain it, but it's different than the past. Well, I mean, it's been a while. It's been a while, and, you know, the other school in the state, not Coastal. I know Coastal's having good years, but that's different. Uh, has won national championships and, and been up there with the class of college football. At Carolina, which not too long ago, beat that team five years in a row, which is something a lot of people never thought would happen in their lifetime because of how they dominated the rivalry. Then they turn it back around, you know, and they start winning, and then they are good and they're great, and blah blah blah. And then you, you, the playoff era happens, which kind of rendered a lot of teams to irrelevance in a lot of ways. I just finished talking about Florida, you know. Florida actually has had some really good seasons under Mullen, but no playoff, you know. And those fans are, eh. um, and so that that that's bad. Then you get to this year. Carolina's got a new coach. Okay, headed into the season, a lot of enthusiasm, do things differently, you don't have the injuries, all this other stuff. But then, lo and behold, look at what happens in the upstate. You know, their third straight five-star quarterback struggling mightily. Their offense is struggling mightily. I mean, I watched their game with Florida State, guys. Uh, and look, all credit to Will Shipley and Tony Elliott for just saying, we're not going to try to throw it anymore. We're just going to try to run it and win this game. Um they turn it over. DJ has one good throw and four bad ones. I mean, there there there's some issues up there that you know really can't necessarily be corrected with something different coaching wise right now. Now I think it's going to correct itself really soon. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't have any reason to think that this is anything other than a than a, just a down year. Uh, but look, that ball game is in Columbia at the end of the year. You know, Clemson's offense isn't all that good. Carolina's pretty solid and opportunistic on defense. You start thinking, hey, you know, th- th- this could have been a chance to have a nice reprieve from all that. But because the Gamecocks can't score, which naturally drives fans away anyway, the, the defense is bad. You know, sometimes you can kind of get in a shootout. It's still an exciting game. Oh, God, lost, but oh, who cares? But if you can't score, that just gets really, really frustrating. When your defense causes turnovers early in a game and you just go three and out, that's frustrating. It's even worse when what was a strength is now a weakness because of a scheme change or whatever. 
uh, and you're not playing to your talent and this, that, and the other is happening, it's awful. You know, so I get, I get it, I get it totally uh, about not being excited. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I, I saw some fans giving some tickets away for Saturday. I think that's great. I mean, for recruiting, uh, not only the kids that'll be at the game, but kids watching on TV, man, you, you still want that thing packed for Florida. Uh, Florida's a team you want to beat every year, you know, hopefully the crowd's better. You know, hopefully people show up, you know, hopefully it's loud, that kind of thing. Um, but what would really help you, you want a big crowd for Auburn, you know, upset Florida, score points, go to the road, beat Missouri, you're bowl eligible. You got Auburn and Clemson coming in. That's gravy, right? Back to a bowl, you know, and then you got a shot at the game at the end of the year. I don't know that they don't have a shot, even if they lose the next three at, for the game at the end of the year. Clemson's defense is elite, elite, like really good. And they're getting some players back, but – you know, with that offense, you know, just kind of like with Carolina, you could lose to anybody. So, uh, you know, I, I'd i feel more comfortable thinking about the game at the end of the year if, if Carolina does not lose the next three. Uh, and if they lose them in the same fashion they've been losing them, I, don't, I just don't know there's any chance Clemson may shut them out. But, uh, you know, that would bring the fans back. You know, so we, 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 it's I, I express some concern, but there are, there is a path to turning it quick. You know, I, I just there's just concern, right? I mean, you know, you, you, crowd's not showing up. Everybody's saying I don't even feel excitement anymore. You know, the offense can't score. There's baffling decisions uh, made on offense. You know. You worry that the defense is gassed. I mean, you know, that was something you had to add on. I mean, shoot, there's just – there's a lot. I get it. But uh, it's not something that can't be solved pretty quick. Sawyer says, here's an example of reduced ticket prices for a top 25 team. I know it's not SEC and it's versus a lower opponent, but it's a way to reach out for to ordinary fans. And it's BYU and they're playing Idaho State. $15 seats, 25 sideline seats. Yeah, I've seen Carolina, I think, do this. Haven't they had $25 tickets for some games against certain teams? I don't know. Um, I I think I think there needs to be a cheaper season ticket package. And I think I think they jump all over it. Now, you know, there is a there is something to be said, like you got Clemson or Georgia at home. Everybody wants to, you know, from the opposing fan base, gobbling up season ticket, cheap season ticket packages for one game. But, heck, man, there hadn't been a even Clemson or Georgia game that was just a ridiculously tough ticket in 10 years, has there? I don't think so. I easily got tickets for Clemson in 15 and 17 and 19. There were a lot of Clemson fans there, but uh, – I don't think you can worry about that because I think whatever, you know, I, I, I think you need to do some outreach to the folks that got priced out however many years ago and, and their families and, and some new, you know, people starting out in their career, fresh graduates that, you know, want to have season tickets, but just can't afford the big seat tax and stuff. There's a lot of, there's a big market to put fans in the stands with that. So I, I'm uh, I'm with you there. 
Uh, and I saw this, uh, the BYU thing you sent me, Sawyer, and I appreciate it. But, you know, I, I, I think it almost needs to be some sort of, sort of uh, season ticket package or something. So, anyway, really appreciate the, uh, the tag, the tweet there, Sawyer. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com is the email address. Michael, here we go. JC, have you heard anything about South Carolina going for any of the Gaffney players? Like, for example, Grayson Loftus. I'm from Gaffney. Love my Indians, so I'm a little biased. I'd love to see another player from the tribe playing as a Gamecock. Go Indians and go Cox. I have not uh, heard anything about I know they're aware of the running back. It was Tyler Smith is his name at Gaffney. I would. <laughs> you know, I, I kids from Gaffney don't really have a big high bust rate. You know, I, 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 I don't think, you know, I, I, uh, I think they most of the time turn out, right? I would love to see uh, Carolina maybe take a flyer or two on some Gaffney kids. Uh, you know, and that's my opinion. I, I know that uh, Gaffney, Cherokee County sort of is uh, – I don't know, a little bit of Gamecock country. Now, Grayson's a quarterback, class of 2023. Um, You know, maybe. Looks like Georgia's giving him a verbal offer, Kentucky's offer, App State, West Virginia. You know, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll give a look to him. I know they've uh, – I know there's some kids like Dylan Lonegren they really like out of Georgia – for 2023 at quarterback um to me i i sort of like loftus better than you know the, the kid from uh fort mill wherever it is not the 2024 kid that's ranked number one in the country or the other one um but anyway i like the kid from south florence too he committed i think to virginia tech so uh you know wouldn't mind it at all but uh, I have not heard of anything imminent happening with Grayson Loftus and the South Carolina Gamecocks. I'll say this, um, you know, I, I'm all for that, you know, in-state guys uh, getting a shot, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, and quarterback recruiting is weird. Georgia's the number one team in the country. They have Stetson Bennett the fourth starting, and he's playing well. He's a walk-on. You know, Kyle Trask was a two-star that didn't start for his high school team. You know, Zach Wilson at BYU was not even any good till his senior year. All right. Uh, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, you know. And then you also have your no-brainers like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. But, you know, those guys are kind of few and far between. And I know – like I said, the whole focus on Clemson and all that, you know, kind of makes Gamecock fans feel if they don't get a five-star quarterback, they can't take their program to the next level. But that's just not true. You don't necessarily need those five stars. What you need is the performance. You know, you need Zach Wilson's performance. You need Joe Burrow's performance. You need, um, you know, Trey Lance's performance. Get any – give me – name of any underrated quarterback out of high school that got drafted by the NFL, Mac Jones. Um, and, and you need that performance. That's the thing. Connor Shaw's performance, you know, Dylan Thompson's performance for his senior year. So yeah, 
So, so that's that with that. Uh, but again, I wouldn't mind seeing it, man. Take as many Gaffney kids, Gaffney kids, South Florida kids, sign me up. Sign me up, Michael. Go Indians. Jonathan, I know I should not take anything Beamer says in the press conference as gospel, but he is leaning towards blaming players to protect the OC. Don't know that he's quite done, done that yet. Uh, rookie leader mistake, protecting friends at all costs. Uh, I don't, I don't. I think every time he's taught, he said they need to coach better, but he he just won't. He doesn't jump in on like the specific criticisms, and he'll defend like specific criticisms, like the complication thing. Uh, but but I think his message has been: we're all in this together. We got to play better and coach better. Both and him and Satterfield both have said that. So I'm not. You know, I I don't think he's gotten ventured into the blaming the players thing, you know, it with the media at all. Uh, so that's uh that's uh that's what I have to say about that. I don't agree with you on that. Rookie leader mistake, protecting friends at all costs. Shane Beamer has a lot of friends. Uh, I think you know, it's probably not as un, as invalid as the criticism of him staying at Oklahoma for 11 days or which meant nothing about anything. It had zero impact on anything uh, or people that believe the football ops building was a waste of money or that, you know, the off field staff like Derek Moore, Jessica Jackson and those people aren't worth the money they pay. I mean, crap like that. That's that. That's in the ludicrous, in the ludicrous territory, uh, when it comes to some things fans say when teams are struggling. Uh, but but I think this friendship thing with he and Marcus Satterfield is, is way overblown. Shane Beamer's got a lot of friends, man. Uh, and yeah, maybe Marcus was a really good friend of his. Maybe he was in the wedding. You know, uh, they known each other for years. Kind of came up through coaching together. I get it. Uh, and I get that when you're friends with someone, there's a certain level of trust and comfort, you know, but I just don't, uh, I don't think it's any, has anything to do with protecting his friends at all costs. I think if anything, he's protecting, it's his team in general. Begging fans to come without giving the re giving a reason could have terminated the OC and shown leadership and nope. Uh, look, man, this is another thing. Yeah, sure. Could have made change midseason, right? Yeah, whoopee, let's do it. You know, who's going to call plays? Well, I you have Eric Kimmery, who coached in high school. I think Eric could do it. I think Justin Stepp could have done it. I think Shane Beamer himself with those two could have done it. Could have a – a number of structures with it, but in my opinion, too, like it, heck, Zeb Nolan could have called it. It, 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 it. It's sort of always a, you know, an either or when you're talking about a midseason change. Now, around here, you know, we all remember Spurrier's first year where he switched defensive play callers, but he had co coordinators, right? He had co-coordinators. Um, during the 08 season, John Hunt had to go, the offensive line coach. It was obvious. 
Same old, same old for four years. The Hunt had been with Spurrier for a while. They were friends. He had to go. Did he make the move midseason? No. Made it at the end of the year. Okay. Most changes happen toward the end of the year. And I don't agree with you at all that this necessarily shows leadership to, to change that in the middle of the year. Uh, I, I think what it does to certain fans, it would look that way. And, and maybe if there's, you know, just an untenable situation, you do that, you show leadership, your players start playing more loose or whatever. Great. But I don't know that that's the case. Um, but, but I think leadership sometimes gets misconstrued. Leadership is not pandering to angry fans. That's the opposite of leadership. That's called being a spineless coward that blows with the wind, okay? Uh, unless there's a damn good reason, unless it's just untenable. And so this notion that – and look, I, I wouldn't – I would have applauded it had he made it. But I don't think in, there's any chance in hell he should have made it just because the fans think that that shows leadership. Because leadership's defined in many different ways. Um, and I think that just doing it to make fans happy, um, unless it's the best move at the time for your football team, um, which, you know, could have been, could not have been, then, then you're a coward and you're not showing leadership if, if you're sitting there just – Listening to fans and some of these folks, you know, I mean, you said it yourself, Jonathan, about the protecting friends at all costs and people are complaining about things that don't matter. So why, why would a head coach just listen to, you know, stick his finger in the wind with the fan base and make a move? Now, again, had he made the move, he's probably got a really good reason. Not making the move, probably got another good reason. JC, these things are adding up. Is Shane in danger? No, not at the moment. Lastly, is it weird with all the analysts and coach that wants, coaches that want to be at Oklahoma, a, a successful program no one wanted to come Shane? No, I don't think so. I, uh, I, I look at that Oklahoma staff, and most of those guys were there with Stoops, stayed on with Lincoln Riley, been there for a long, long time. I mean – you know, I, I, and the analyst thing, maybe there wasn't an analyst he was all that fired up about. I mean, really, you know, Bill Bedenball is not leaving Oklahoma. He's been there how long? You know, Kale Gundy's not leaving Oklahoma. He's He played at Oklahoma. He's Oklahoma lifer. You know, uh, so, so, I mean, my question again is, you know, who the heck was he going to get? Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator out there, will be a head coach at some point. So, why would he come to South Carolina? You know, so, so, you know, who was he supposed to bring? I don't, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, Muschamp, he did bring some guys from Florida that coached with him before. But he also hired some analysts, Bobby Bentley, Mike Peterson. Those were his two best hires. So, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and, and say that was a red flag at all. You know, and in fact – you know, sometimes Shane Beamer is an old school kind of guy. Maybe he's, he's I'm not going to touch your guys, you know, that kind of thing. I readily admit I wanted Napier, but quickly got on the Shane train. Napier's team plays tonight, Louisiana, and I think they played Sean Elliott's team, Georgia State. 
Um, concerns about Napier. Napier's a good recruiter, really a hell of a football coach. He's a winner. <laughs> and this is going to sound crazy to say, I'd be concerned about his offense too. Now, would it be better than what they got right now in South Carolina? Absolutely. But, you know, that concerned me. The Saban structure and stuff like that kind of concerned me because they just got rid of something like that. Um, but then again, you know, when it came down to like Napier, Beamer, I, I was indifferent. You know, I mean, obviously I got to know Shane when, when he was at Carolina the first time and I knew him better. Uh, I had a relationship with him, you know, a, you know, he's kind of a friend, you know, when he was at Carolina before and I've kept in touch with him over the years. Uh, but, uh, I didn't, I don't know Billy Napier, but, uh, cause obviously he goes to Clemson and always kind of covered the Gamecocks, but, uh, a lot of my friends do. And I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. Uh, I think there was really one coach out there, to be honest, uh, that was a quote unquote home run type hire, uh, probably not in the stratosphere of Spurrier or Holtz, but one guy that would have gotten a lot of attention that, that would have been Hugh Freeze, I think. Um, and that just wasn't going to work out on Freeze's end. Um, and so that was that, you know, that when the job first came open, I was like, you know, that would be the guy that you point to, wow, you know, he wanted Ole Miss. You, you got to kind of coach at South Carolina like he coached Ole Miss. But then, the, then again, the NCAA, I'd be parked out in front. You know, <laughs> like that scene, I guess, gosh, was it Casino where they got him on Goodfellas or something? They got him out of jail. The FBI is just following behind him. Um, you know, and I don't think Carolina would ever get the benefit of the doubt. For that. I mean, those are all ancillary things because uh, Hugh Freeze, I think, is a winner. I mean, I think the, the bottom line, whatever he's doing, he probably would have won. But, you know, what I was told is it just didn't work out. You know, wasn't for anything other than wouldn't work out. That's all I all I knew. Uh, you know, when we came down to Napier and Beamer, I, I got it. I get it. And I was fine with Shane Beamer getting the job. I've always thought he was going to be a good head coach. Um, when he's at Carolina, when he left Carolina, when he went to Georgia, went to Oklahoma, wherever, I, I always thought Beamer was going to be a really good head coach one day. And when they hired Muschamp, and it kind of got down to it, and you had guys rolling in like Rich Rodriguez and Willie Taggart and Greg Schiano. You know, I thought, hey, why not just go out of the box and hire Shane Beamer? Because chances are he'll be the head coach here one day anyway. Um, and, and then, you know, I got behind Muschamp because, hey, Muschamp's a recruiter. He's got experience. That roster was in shambles that he took over. You know, you sort of – at the time, Carolina really had one bad year. And you're like, well, if he can kind of get it back to respectable his first year, then he can kind of recruit his way up to, you know, doing something. The problem is, you know, injuries in 2018 really sideline, you know, instead of going like eight and five, maybe nine and four, you know, dare I say 11 and two had the whole defense not gotten hurt. And that was a defense that was going to have to kind of go through a building year anyway. You know, with the offense, they ended up playing. They could have won a bunch of games. But all those injuries, 
balloon lead at Florida. Things go downhill. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> uh, and I always said this about Muschamp, you know, because people were talking about firing after that Virginia game, and I was like, that's a complete overreaction. Bowl game results, you know, who cares? Uh, you're not the – you know, Steve Spurrier, the year before he won the SEC, he's lost to Connecticut in, in the Birmingham Bowl. I mean, that, yeah, sometimes these bowl games don't go either way. Lost North Carolina was a big red flag. Jake getting hurt, big red flag. Losing to Missouri that year was awful. Uh, the five alarm fire, Tennessee, App State. Yeah, 2019 year, you could have made a good case for him to be gone. So, you know, that's why Muschamp was there. So Shane got the job. I was like, that's not a bad thing. You know, I thought it was a good thing. I thought, you know, here's a guy that can hire a staff. He's very you know, involved in putting together the best staff probably in school history under Steve Spurrier. You know, you guys don't know that probably. It's not public record, but, you know, Spurrier sort of leaned on him. Guys like Jay Graham, Ellis Johnson, Lorenzo Ward, who came with Ellis eventually. You know, that's all Shane. And uh, Sean Elliott, you know, so there's – there were some reasons there, you know, that, that he that I had confidence he put together a good staff. And quite frankly, out of the ten he hired, uh, I know everybody wants to throw Montario Hardesty under the bus, and for whatever reason, Eric Kemry, which I don't understand. I think that's stupid. Um, now you, you want to debate Bobby Bentley as an assistant versus Eric Kemry, and it's a fair debate. You're not going to find a bigger Bobby Bentley fan than me. I can make a good case for him being the OC there right now. But, you know, just because Bobby was was good and Kimmy replaced by I mean, doesn't mean Kimmy's doing a bad job. You know, Hardesty will see. Your running backs coach needs to uh your running backs coach has to recruit. I don't I don't know that there's any red flags in recruiting right now. He's in on a defensive lineman from his hometown in 2023. You know, running back recruiting was not like a big deal this year. You know, Kimry certainly hasn't struggled recruiting, and I don't think his players have struggled either. I just think they're not getting the ball. And I think, you know, look at Jaheim Bell's improvement, Trey Kenyon's improvement. Uh, you know, Nick Muse is probably about the same, although he doesn't have any drops or a lot of drops this year. Maybe he has one. He's hanging on the ball a lot, probably needs it. So, you know, I, I don't have any issue with the other guys. I mean, Torian Gray and Clayton White on defense in the secondary are performing miracles, folks. <laughs> miracles. <laughs> so, you know, and I, and I went through the strength staff, the off-the-field staff. I mean, you're telling me Shane Beamer can't hire coaches? Bullcrap. B.S. He's probably made one mistake. Unfortunately, at this school, after years and years of struggling on offense and must champ changing offensive coordinators, at this school, that was a big deal with this hire. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I think a lot of people when they, they the job opened was just like, don't care what happens, just score some points and look competent on offense. And and this was after the defense ultimately got Will Muschamp fired for giving up 159 points in three games. 
know, this group was ready for competent offense. I mean, South Carolina is not a program where the fans mind being a defensive oriented school, you know, at least I don't think so. You know, you, people sort of look at Clemson putting up all these points in the ACC and, and their offenses certainly were great and talented and all that. And maybe you do get a little jealous, but uh, you know, I think as long as Carolina's winning, you could win with defense at South Carolina, but you, you have to be competent on offense. You can't be a disaster, right? Uh, and he goes on to say, JC, he may be over his head. I'm just, you know, that's – Right now, eight games in, you got a four and four record. There are some issues, some red flags, whatever have you, but nobody can make that determination right now. And the people that are saying that right now, let's say Beamer loses his last four games, starts 0 and 4 next year and gets fired. Even if you're saying that right now, you're not right. You're not right because you don't have the info to determine that. You're not qualified. First of all, most of you are not qualified to determine what is a good coach and what isn't. Because if, if 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 South Carolina had hired some of the people that you guys want, uh, I'm not even necessarily talking about the listeners. That you know, uh, they probably would be in just as bad of a shape. Um, and I say that not because you guys are dumb, but because it's very look around the country. It's hard. I mean, who who here thought Scott Frost would be have a would be ten games under 500 at Nebraska? Not I. Florida fans certainly didn't think that because they wanted him to come to Gainesville. He went to Lincoln instead. Probably a mistake. You know, who here thought Chip Kelly would be on the hot seat? Who ever thought Dan Mullen heading into this year would be on the hot seat? And he's not really. That could change. He's four and four, just like Shane Beamer. You know, and look, I don't know how many athletic directors across the country are really qualified to hire football, but it's hard. So just because you're like, you know, insecure as a fan because you're used to big names being hired at Carolina, which if you kind of came along in the 2000s, then you were used to that. Uh, Just because you're insecure doesn't mean you're right. And uh, I just don't think there's any way to determine right now if Shane Beamer is a good hire, bad hire, over his head, not over his head potential Hall of Famer, what have you. I just think it, there's just not enough information. Uh, because you can sit there and say, oh, yeah, you know, all this crap about his buddy, his buddy, his buddy. I don't give a flip if it's his buddy or not. You're either a good OC or bad OC, you know, and, and, and if it's a bad OC hire, you got to make a change. It's, you know, coaches hire bad assistants. It happens. Please don't – don't. let's not mistaken this. Let's, let's not say every coach in the country – makes great assistant hires uh, at all times and has never had to fire anybody because that's just part of the business. And, you know, it's not so much that it happened, right? But if there is a fix to be made when this season is over, the judgment is going to become, number one, will you fix it? Number two, how do you fix it? And obviously, if the offense continues to struggle, there needs to be a fix. Now, fixing is a broad definition. You know, does, does, do you keep Marcus Satterfield and have him learn something else? I, I, I'm, I'd be very concerned about that. 
But if it works, it worked. You know, I, I have my doubts. But again, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to say for sure or not. Nobody is. You know, if you get rid of him, who do you hire? Who do you hire? Um, do you dig in on the pro-style offense? Which I don't agree with him. He, he used – he said, quote, unquote, pro-style offense, and he used Georgia as an example. You're not going to get the players Georgia's got. You know, you can get players to compete with Georgia. You can get players to beat Georgia. But you're not going to recruit at tailback like they do because nobody does. Nobody does. And it's even hard for them to get offensive lines that, you know, are great every year. Pippen did a good job. Matt Luke's doing a good job there for sure, and they're good. They're much better than maybe they were. But think about some of those teams over the years. Georgia didn't have a good offensive line. Carolina's holding them to below 100 yards rushing, whatever. But you're, you're just not going to get the personnel at Carolina. You know, it, it's in the state of South Carolina, you know, there have been some quarterbacks that have popped up. A lot of them are dual-threat guys, but they can throw now. You have a lot of what I call athletes that can play multiple positions. You have receivers just about every cycle. You have defensive linemen every cycle. Sometimes you got to run it back. Sometimes you don't. Same thing with quarterback. You know, there's probably one or two offensive linemen every year that are kind of no-brainers. Not always. It's basically defensive linemen and wide receivers that you've got every year. Uh, and you can find different styles of quarterbacks in, in your footprint. Um you can get out of South Florida and get speed. I mean, I, I, I just don't necessarily think. No, Red's eating, drinking the turtle water. I, I just don't necessarily think that pro style offense is, is the direction you got to go. Um, and I said, well, pro style offense, the definition may be different now because of the different concepts and stuff there. And I stand by that. But you got to scale it back for college, man. You know, you can't. You, you can't run what Joe Brady runs with the Panthers. You got to run what he did at LSU, and that was Steve Insminger helping and all that. So, anyway, it's not that there are issues. It's how Beamer fixes them. If he fixes them, can he diagnose them? That's what a good head coach does. You know, and and I listed all the positives and all the things he's changed for the better since he's taken over. All the things that have improved about the program. There's just a big glaring deal right now. And I think it's shocking to anybody that knows the game of football when you watch South Carolina last year or even the year before and you see the players they have backed, that they cannot run the football. And if that can change the last four games, then the outlook can probably change because I think that's the key to just about everything. Running the football seems really shocking to say that this is a big issue. Thanks for the email, Jonathan. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. One last one. Hey, JC. This comes from Hudson. Hope all is well with you today. I don't know if I've ever seen more negativity around our program in my life. I agree. It's an all-time low. Lower than 0-11, 0-21, Lower than Spurrier's last year. Lower than Muschamp's last two years. It is uh, extremely low. Every time I read what's going on on TBS, I'm surrounded by a small but loud group of individuals that seem like they had their cereal crapped in by Shane Beamer himself. Uh, yeah, there's a group of about six or seven. They're not happy against with anybody. You know, they weren't happy with Muschamp, anybody hired, this, that, and the other. 
And then there's some people that just continue the posters and, I, and I've got to get, I've got to just like make an announcement or something. You can post that Frank Martin has a five-star recruit about to commit to him and they're going to go on that thread and post the offense is terrible, you know, <laughs> for the football team. I mean, it, it's every single, it's threads about, you know, and, it, and it, look guys, Carolina has a sorry offense. You can fix that, right? You can fix it. It can be fixed. It's not unsalvageable. That does not mean, oh, recruiting's in the tank, the program's in the tank, Beamer's over his head, all this other crap that gets piled on top of it. The offense is bad. I've been saying it's bad for a long time. The offensive line can't block. They can't run the football. They can't protect. That doesn't mean everything else is in the crapper. I just listed a bunch of stuff that's irrefutably better. So I wish, wish people could just compartmentalize. I get it. Times are bad right now. and There are changes to be made. But we have to give Beamer a chance to figure it out. I know. People that won't see Beamer gone after eight games. As I said, even if he turns out not to be the answer, which is possible. It's always possible. You're not right. You're not some football genius. It's not like you called it, buddy. You're just – you know, somebody that can't think outside of the box and understand that how things work, how things don't, or you have certain criteria you look for in a coach, which is probably impossible to meet. You know, you're not right, even if he doesn't work out. I'm telling you folks that right now. You are not right. You are a overreactor, or you have some sort of like idea in your head about what the coach should be, or even, you know, what a coach does. I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. So I just want to tell you that. Some of these guys with so-called sources baffle me. I don't know. There's not anybody really with sources on, on the site. You know, there's folks that know football and post about it. Like they know the terminology. And I, and I really appreciate those guys because I learn something when I read uh, sort of their breakdowns. And we have Ben Briner, we paid, who does have sources, who also breaks things down for us. And I, I love the X's and O's stuff. Guys like Lorenzo 84 Verts. Oktoberfest, boy, thankful for those guys. And then they don't really, they don't really complain, you know. And then you have other people that, that do put do put stuff out that do complain that say I've talked to this guy, that guy, or whatever. And that's fine. But I haven't seen any like misinformation out there from 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 our posters. Really, I've seen some some things that aren't quite a hundred percent accurate in terms of people's opinions about what, what exactly is wrong, but, you know, I, I don't know, you know, you, you'd have to tell me like who some of the, the sourced people are um, about that. It's not for you, Joni, Tony, John, or Hale have a hard time taking it seriously. Yeah. And look on a message board, it's anonymous. We don't look up people's names to see who they are and dox them or anything. Just take it for what it's worth. I do know some of the people on the site personally. Chicken Fan, for example, has got sources. He's he's good. You know, I know who he is. But, you know, that's why some of us do this for a living and some of us post on a message board. how it is. Anyway, I just need to get off the chest today because the negativity is wearing me down and taking the joy out of Carolina football for me. Yeah, if they just score some points, I think people would shut up. So my question for you is where the team is right now where do we look for hope? There's another change to the staff that we have to look forward to. Not Beamer, of course, but Satterfield. I, you know, I, I'm not ready to look. 
obviously, you know where I stand about the OC Hudson. I just think it's been a disaster. I think it's misguided what they're trying to do. I don't think it fits at Carolina, you know, but like I said, at the top of the show, there is, there are some things that give me reason for half to, to be halfway sort of hopeful light at the end of the, I have no light, no light heading out into the A&M game. Just, uh, I looked at A&M's uh, total stats and saw that they had struggled a little bit on offense, but just once that game started, and I realized Zeb Nolan was a sitting duck back there and you know, 440 yards to six or something like that. Didn't that happen? There was no hope. And then against this bunch this weekend with some changes, a new quarterback, hopefully, and look, if – Remember me talking about it, it, it's not what happens, it's how, how they fix it. If the big fix is to trot Nolan after surgery out there again this week, and it's this fast defense that blitzes from all over the place. At that point, I think you're like, you, you got to really start asking some more serious questions. Um, so those are the things that give me hope right now. Maybe they can find a way to run the ball if they adjust the blocking scheme, which there was sort of a, Reference to that by Satterfield, and then maybe maybe Jason Brown can get him going. Who knows? He says, also, do you remember when most of the folks celebrated Mike Bobo moving on? I do. Nobody liked Bobo. There were people that were under the impression he did Ryan Holinsky dirty, which was not true. That he started Colin Hill because of favoritism. Again, not true. That he couldn't call plays. Really, really, really not true. You know, Mike Bobo did the best with what he had. You can't tell me that the guy this year is maximizing what he has on offense because that's a lie. That's not true. Far from it. Now, we can sit there and say if Mike Bobo had the players they have this year, how much better would it be? It would not be a juggernaut, but it would be much better. Uh, Carolina probably at least have one more win, maybe two. Because I don't think that they would have, you know, year two in his system, they'd have probably run the ball even better and had more backs and options. And you have more receivers, you know, spread it around a little bit. Now who plays quarterback? Who knows? Maybe they go get T.J. Finley out in the portal instead of Auburn. Maybe it's Jason Brown. Who knows? Maybe it's Luke Doty in that system with some, you know, some, some modifications for him. Maybe he doesn't get hurt. Who knows? Who knows what happens if Bobo stays, but he's not there. And look, he left. He made a, he made a career move and you can't blame him. You know, not only it was like 1.3 million more, it's a better program. Historically, it's a first year guy that, 69 and 19, all he really does is win. Uh, he's what he's you know, six and two this year, he's 75 and 21. Brian Harson. Um, and they have better quarterbacks. You know, say what you want. Everybody thinks everybody around here thinks Bo Nick sucks. <laughs> yeah, he had a bad game against Carolina last year. He's had some stinker of a game before. I don't know. 
what happened with him and Malzahn's offense. And he did get benched this year when they almost lost to Georgia State, but he's rallied because Bo Nix has talent. Finley has talent. The young guys have talent. So he inherited a better quarterback. He says, I was in the minority, hate to see him go, but it seems like everyone wants him back at this point. And, and that's just because the, the offense looks like a dumpster fire. I mean, you take just about anybody. That can, I mean, you know, I, 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 I never headed it, heading into the Shane Beamer era, hearing what he would like to do on offense schematically. I would have never been in favor of him hiring like a Noel Mazzoni or Jim Chaney, one of the, old grizzled veterans from the SEC that can call ball plays. I think you'd take either one of those guys in a heartbeat now. Because <laughs> I think they would have a lot more answers and be able to scheme up things a lot better with the talent they've got. Just just a fact, man. Just a fact. All right, folks. Y'all have a great weekend. J.C. Sherbert here. Signing off. Probably have more uh, podcast episodes next week. You had, you, had, you had a dog situation, you had the open week, and then you had this week. And I, I'm just going to be honest, the the late nights watching the World Series caught up with me <laughs> a little bit. But really happy the Atlanta Braves, the team of my childhood, the team I always pull for. I pull for the White Sox as well, but, I, you know, the Braves are near and dear to my heart. Uh, winning the World Series, you know, at least for a day or two until I started having to talk about Gamecock football again and all that, uh, you know, kind of brought me some joy. And I think that's why we ultimately watch sports, because it brings us joy. We enjoy it. It is entertainment. That's why we talk about it. That's why we discuss it. That's why we're in front of our TVs, win or lose. If you're a Gamecock fan, that's why we've been gluttons for punishment most of the time over the years. But I'll tell you this. I've I've been concerned – about the program and I, I those concerns remain I'll, I'll say this I, I don't want it to, I didn't want it to sound like you know the concerns were just based on Marcus Satterfield and the offense because because it goes beyond that folks I, we are in a time of great change okay uh and I've always said here you know this is this about the Carolina job it's probably third or fourth best job in the SEC East, behind Georgia, Florida, maybe behind Tennessee, maybe not. But definitely a better job than Missouri, definitely a better job than Kentucky, definitely a better job than Vanderbilt. Um, and before everybody was like, well, Kentucky's beating us all this time. Yeah, yeah, the difference. Kentucky probably – Kentucky's got a better program right now. Kentucky's got a better team right now. It's not a better job. Because when you're talking about a job, you're not really looking at – you know, what are the scores of the games? And I, and I think fans make this mistake all the time. Everything's, everything's uh, you know, related to wins and losses to a certain extent, although Gamecocks are four and four and you'd think they're two and six, but I understand because of how the wins have gone. But um, it's not about that. It's about, you know, resources, tradition, facilities, money, fan support, that kind of thing. And so there's some things that are going to change that could possibly change the dynamics of this as of South Carolina as a job. You know, and it's it's not the best job. I mean, people look at it, and, you know, a lot of coaches look at it and go, oh, you gotta here's who you gotta compete against. And then they use the small state excuse, which isn't an excuse, it's an excuse and all this other stuff. So 
but, but, but look at what's, com- what's coming out. You got, you got the transfer portal. So, you know, in today's age, when you're struggling, a lot of kids, instead of sticking to it, could very well hit the portal. So then it puts you even further behind. Okay, so you got NIL. I'm not convinced yet with a lot of schools, not just Carolina, that people totally get it. You know, basically what this is, is if you're out there, you've got disposable income, you got a business, I can tell you to call iHelp Consulting. Maybe you should call iHelp Consulting and Daniel and the money you save there with your business, you can put in the NIL. You know, and, and it's it's definitely up to those people that do that. The university, I, I've seen people already, Ray Tanner's going to mess up NIL. It's not up to Ray Tanner. That's where you're wrong. And I think far too often around here, everybody sits around on their hands waiting for university leadership, which has been a failure more times than not, to do something rather than taking matters into their own hands and being proactive. It's not the university necessarily. It's not proactive all the time, although they aren't the most proactive. Okay. So I'm concerned about that. Very concerned. And uh, I'm concerned for a lot of programs when it comes to that. And then I'm also concerned that other programs are going to figure it out. Carolina may not you know, or whatever. The best thing that could happen right now is for Carolina to figure that out. Okay, so I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about SEC expansion. Now, when you hear about the pod system, or you hear about the Mississippi schools coming to the East, which is the crazy scenario I heard when it first happened, you're like, well, Texas and Oklahoma aren't going to hurt Carolina. It's not going to hurt Carolina having those two teams. They're out West. You don't really recruit against them. You know, you just take your shot when you play it. But there is a scenario that would really change the dynamic of it. Because right now, I said, still the third, fourth best job in the East. Probably you'd rank them fourth behind Tennessee if you really, you know, because you've had some success over the years at Tennessee. You you probably have more fans, a bigger fan base. It's a bigger state. You probably have more money. Um, That's it, really. I mean, success the last, what, however many years, 16, 15, 16 years have been virtually the same. Sucks they're on a three-game win streak right now, right? But usually that's followed up by a three-game win streak from South Carolina. So we'll see what happens to Columbia next year. Uh, You move Alabama and Auburn to the SEC East. Suddenly it's the fifth best job at best in an eight-team division. That makes it tough. You know, and that could be something that, that really, you know, portal, NIL, expansion, and how they structure it, those are all important parts that really have, you know, and, you know, and you're, you're talking about an attendance decline. Uh, and then attendance has a lot to do with how the team's playing, but also a lot to do with other factors. So, you know, all those things are, are factors that could take this from a, like I said, third, fourth best job in the East to hmm, afterthought. Because the path of least resistance is important in college football, you know. And it sucks right now because you're losing to Kentucky and you lost to Tennessee. You beat Vandy, but, you know, hopefully they can get a win against Missouri. I don't know, you know. But – on its best day, this program 
just, you know, those teams aren't much of a problem, you know, when, when this thing's really up. And uh, even when it wasn't 11 win up, still was pretty, you know, seven, eight went up, was still pretty doggone good. You know, the Gamecocks did pretty well against the East under Spurrier. Uh, you know, not so much with the Western teams, but that, that Western division is a little bit different. So you talk about Hope Hudson, who was our final emailer today. There are things that give you hope. I know I've been concerned, uh, and I wanted to address that. And there are things that give me hope about Saturday and the rest of the season. Uh, and I wanted to clarify that, you know, my concern, certainly I'm concerned about the, the offense and how they're playing right now and really the the team, you know. But there are bigger, bigger things out there. We'll dig into them all offseason probably that, that I'm probably or really definitely more concerned with, way more concerned with. It's J.C. Sherbert. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. This has been Prediction Friday. Everyone enjoy the game. Enjoy your weekend. Inside the Game Guys podcast signing off.